0: Okay, welcome back. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start back in the series that we began in the fall in the book of Colossians as we explore this scripture. And this morning we'll begin in verse 15. If you want, you can open it in the Bible app. That tab is also in that link tree that we shared with you. Or you can open your Bible, or you can follow along right here. Uh, we'll be. You ready? Here we go. The Son. This is speaking of Jesus. The Son is the, invis- the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. To have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, this morning we're going to take the first half of this text, and next week we'll look at the second part. So, this week we're going to look at Jesus, Lord of creation. And next week, we'll look at Jesus, Lord of the Church. When we speak of Jesus, Lord of creation, we're making an association that people have always made when they understand some aspect of God and the question of power in the world, in creation. When the godless look at the world or the cosmos, they have to remind themselves, this has evolved. This has happened. And so at times, you may hear them looking for some sense of favor in the cosmos and say, well, the universe smiled at me today. Right? Right? You've heard that. And have you thought, oh, are they talking about God? Or are they looking for some kind of favor from this great expanse of what they see. In fact, the great expanse of what we see is actually wrapped up in an enormous amount of mystery. University of Oxford professor Pedro Fiera says that he is puzzled, as most physicists are, about the origins and the basic elements of the universe. Notice what he says. He says, we are at a complete loss to explain some of the most fundamental but baffling observations of how our universe behaves. There is a tremendous, even cosmic, chasm between the physics we know and love and some of the phenomenon that we observe. We simply can't make heads or tails of it. We have no idea how to bridge this chasm Yet we are proceeding to construct even more expensive experiments and observatories in the hope that we will. In the hope that we will cross the cosmic chasm. Even those who are godless look for some favor in this cosmic chasm that they find themselves in and say, The universe smiled at me today. Now, for those God-fearers who look at the creation and the cosmos, this world, they have to remind themselves, this has been created. And when we make that association, that this has been created, we're actually moving from a question of, how and when, to a question of who and why. Who and why has this been created? Who is the creator? By what power has this been done? And am I under such authority inside as part of the created? Because I didn't create myself. I have been created. You and I have been created in the view of God-fearers. For the people of Colossians that Paul was writing to this letter, he was writing to people who were very much concerned with the powers of their age. These were political, social, religious, familial, and spiritual. They had stories and and paradigms that helped them understand their cosmos and their place inside of it. There were various philosophies that helped them understand where they fit in this world and by what powers they had to submit themselves. As those who were under Rome, the Roman presence and authority was never far from their minds. The whole book of Colossians is a declaration from Paul of the power and authority of Jesus Christ over all and even over creation. When God-fearers associate creation with a power, they if they were Jewish, they would turn to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis 1, they would hear this word In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. For those land lovers, the waters were a place of great mystery and fear, darkness, formless, void, the surface of the deep. It implies a sort of cosmic conflict against chaos, a cosmic conflict against chaos that God now speaks into and says, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. And so we move to the second act or expression story of creation where God now speaks and creates and moves through to the creation of humanity and says, let us make them let us make them male and female. In the image of God, let us make them. Now, in the Jewish mindset, there was also another power or another way of expressing the power of God in creation. In Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verse 19, it says this, By wisdom... The Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heaven in place. By wisdom, God created. So, unless you're really familiar with the Old Testament scripture, you might have missed that they had this idea that the invisible God is made visible by what he does that the invisible God expresses this power, and this power can be personified with the word wisdom. How many of you is this new? This is a new perception. Spend some time in Proverbs this week. Proverbs 3, and then move to Proverbs 8 and 9, and see wisdom personified and active in creation. Wisdom predates creation. Wisdom is at God's side. Wisdom delights in the presence of God. Wisdom rejoices in his world. Wisdom delights in humanity. Wisdom says to humanity, those who find me will find life and receive favor from Yahweh. But those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love death. Wisdom goes on to issue an invitation. Come to me, all of you who are simple. Come to me, and I will make you wise. Come to me and live. Come to me and eat. Come to me and drink. Come to me, I have set a table for you. Is this starting to sound familiar? This is the very word that Jesus later used for himself. Come to me, all of you who are weary and labor. Come to me, eat of me, and you will live. Drink of me, and you will live. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and all who sit and sup with me shall live. What Paul does here is take the Hebrew concept of wisdom, engaged in the creation of the world, the wisdom of God, and personifies him, with Jesus. Notice what he does in Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, what is it that has made the invisible God visible? It's wisdom. And now Paul is saying, Jesus not only is greater than wisdom, he is the wisdom of God. Paul would say it plainly in Corinthians. But here he's entering into sort of a creative element of creating a hymn, creating a song, and so it flows with this poetic language and just moves along The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven, things in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. I don't know if Paul could have rapped, but I'm sure he could have done it in Greek better than I could. We miss the poetic move here when we just read this straight through in English. Paul's making a poetic move when he says the sun is the image of the invisible God. For the Jewish listeners in the audience, they would have recognized, oh, look at what he just did. Look at what he just did. He's saying Jesus is the one who makes the invisible God Visible. Jesus is the one then who tells us who God is and shows us what God is like. Jesus is greater than the law or wisdom. And so when we read the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John we can see in them and watch Jesus in his works. Create again and show us the invisible God. Paul goes on then to say that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. When he uses that language of firstborn over all creation, he wasn't saying that Jesus was birthed. Again, he's using poetic language to describe Jesus' rank. Firstborn didn't necessarily mean in terms of time that this person was born first. But the designation firstborn meant that they stood to inherit everything that the patriarch had. David was described as the firstborn, King David. But we know he wasn't the firstborn in his family. But God designated him. As firstborn, so that he would receive the kingship and enter into covenant with him.
1: Of Israel,
0: they were called firstborn. We know they weren't the first nation and people and family to be present. So when Paul uses the term firstborn here, he's not speaking of Jesus being created, he's actually speaking of Jesus's rank that Jesus is superior over all creation. In fact, Jesus would have creation as his inheritance. But he goes on to show that Jesus not only has creation as his inheritance, he has been an agent of creation. Notice what he says in verse 16. For in him all things were created. He has been the agent of creation. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at Jesus, you see Jesus Christ, the one who has been operational even in creation. When you look under a microscope and you look at something very small there, you see something of the creativity of Jesus. Where's my scientist? When you study anything that has been created, you study something that Jesus had a hand in, and then you see what people have done with it. When we see Jesus, we see the one who is creator. And so then Paul goes on in verse 16 to show us something of the questions we should ask. He says, in, th- in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And so what Paul is doing here is he's drawing a philosophical line between creation and us, and saying that if we reside in creation, one of the things that we ask and wonder about is why was this created? For what purpose has it been made? We might even ask that of ourselves. And then he takes these two and draws a line back to Jesus and says, if you want to know why you were created, then you must come to Jesus to know. You must come to Jesus to be fulfilled in it and to meet the purpose of it. For all things have been created by him and through him and for him. If you were to question whether Jesus has that right, he goes on in verse 17 to say, He is before all things. Once, Jesus was in conversation with some people about Abraham, Father Abraham, and he says, well, before Father Abraham, I am. And they were like, but you're, you're pretty young yet. You're, you're not as old as Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And even of creation, Paul says here and makes the most incredible declaration to say that Jesus is is before all things. And then he goes on to say, and in him all things hold together. Ah, there's that line about chaos again. Chaos always seeks for things to fall apart, but Jesus holds it together. This is both one aspect of how the philosophical idea coheres, but also how creation itself sticks together. This is cosmically mind-blowing. What power is there in this world that will be victorious against Jesus the Christ? Will rebellion be victorious? Will death, will war, will deceit? Will our sinfulness, our greed, our murder, our lust, our racism, our malice, or our anger, our misuse and abuse, will it be victorious against Jesus? No. None of these will be victorious against Jesus. For he, as it says in Hebrews 1.13, is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. So when I look at Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those great stories and history of Jesus, I see Jesus with a creator's relationship with creation, Jesus chains water to wine. Jesus is in a storm, and he speaks to it so that it calms. Jesus moves about the sick and heals them with a touch and with a word. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and multiplies matter of fish and bread. Jesus walks on water. Jesus raises the dead. I'm not able to do any of those things, but he can, for he is Lord of creation. There's three things that I want to draw our attention to that I think are important for us. One, we need not fear being a God-fearer, being a Christian, and the academy. We need not fear in this place. We need not fear intellect or education. For we can be a people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to discern spiritual things, and we can be formed by the Word of God, even as we take up the task of understanding, of asking, of exploring, of testing, and applying. We can delight in our studies, For we study everything that God has made and what people have done with it. We study it in the light and revelation of Jesus Christ. The second thing is that we can actually love creation. We can love the plants. Do we have any plant lovers here? Plant lovers. We, we, we We can love the animals. Any animal lovers? There's a few. We can love the mountains and the water and the beach. Okay, we are mountain people and beach people. Which are you, mountain people? Beach people? We can love it. It's okay. We can love the creation. I really appreciate the work of Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote uh, The Brothers uh, Karamazov. And he has in there a priest, and the priest, Zosima, he says, Brothers, love all creation, the whole and every grain of sand in it. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love the animals. Love the plants. Love everything. If you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. And once you perceive it, you will begin to comprehend it better every day. And you will come at last to love the whole world with the all-embracing love. Love the animals. God has given them the rudiments of thought and joy untroubled. Do not trouble it. Do not harass it. Don't deprive them of their happiness. Don't work against God's intent. Man, do not pride yourself on superiority to the animals. They are without sin. And you, with your greatness, defile the earth by your appearance on it and leave traces of your foulness after you. Alas, it's true of every one of us. We have not loved well. Then finally, we need not be held in fear of the powers, both visible and invisible. You need not be held in fear of the powers of the universe, you who are not God-fearers yet. But you need not fear the universe. You might should fear them all. (laughs) I fear them all. But I don't fear the universe. Why? Because I know the one who made it and holds it. You need not fear any powers, invisible or visible. Why? Because you know the one who made them and who is above them and is greater than them and has defeated those that align themselves against the knowledge and will of God. You need not fear. He's got the whole world in his hands. Do you remember it? It's a simple song. It creates Complexity for us of wonderings about suffering, but our movement into the realities of life first begins with a declaration of faith. And it's because of faith that we wonder about this world. And so we need to be able to sing, He's got the whole world in His hands, He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. And those are nail-scarred hands. It's the nail-scarred hands of Jesus that's got you, that's got us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We come to you in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit, and we say thank you. We pray that you would cause our hearts to quicken and our minds to come alive as we view creation this week. Would you help us to recognize you as the one who is created and to say thank you. May you cause us to move as your people to love well, To be better servants and stewards. As we come now to honor you, Lord of creation, Lord of the church, Lord of heaven and earth, we come and thank you that you let your body be broken on the cross and your blood be shed for the forgiveness of sin. We thank you that you demonstrated your power over death. By being raised from the dead, ascending into heaven, and sending your Spirit so that we might know you. We enter and celebrate this grace again, for you've got us. You've got us. And we love you. With those helping with the Lord's Supper, come, and you all may stand.